Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week, we're talking about scrometing, which, despite what you may have read, is an actual real medical condition and not something that I have made up. <laughs> As ever, we'd like to know what you think. If you want to tweet us, uh, troll us on Twitter <laughs> using the hashtag Medical Minefield or just go directly to Eve Simmons if you can find her. I imagine <laughs> you know kind. how to. We'd love to hear from you. When your article came in last week, when your report from LA came in last week, I thought it was great. I read it from start to finish, as did lots of people in the office. And, you know, obviously it's a subject that's been written about before. It's been well charted that in many American cities there are these social problems like there are in London Mm. and other UK cities. You know, you can find these things to to write about everywhere. Uh, But what I thought it really captured was what struck me about the situation with cannabis and in America and particularly in LA when I've I've been there, that there are these two faces of cannabis. One is this kind of chic, healthy Mm. lifestyle, you know, organic wooden countertops and glass and and they these Mm. dispensaries that that look like Apple stores. Mm. Or like a wellness shop. Or a wellness Mm. shop. Um, you know, with great looking people hanging out and art on the walls and products on sale that, that make these these elaborate health promises and, and people talking about the health giving benefits mm. of taking cannabis, that it can improve your anxiety, it can make you sleep great, it can, God knows what else, it, it's Help claimed to... Aching muscles. Do, aching muscles. And these things are absolutely based on anecdote. You know, that some people do say that that cannabis has these benefits, but certainly in terms of making a health claim, there's no evidence. Yeah, yeah, you're on really shaky ground for it, you know, but people like taking it. Mm -hmm. Uh, People like smoking it, people like eating it. But I mean, anyone who has any experience of drugs knows that while, you know, eight in 10 people will be absolutely fine if they take virtually anything, really, Mm. to be honest, that there is a percentage of people that will have a very negative effect. I know people who've gone off the rails because of smoking too much weed. Mm. Most people, if they are young and have grown up in an urban environment, will have come into contact or seen this kind of thing too. Yes. And what you discovered was that there is another side to this and that doctors are are worried Mm -hmm. and that there is a condition called cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome or scrometing that is becoming more common because using cannabis is becoming more common. So naturally, as more people come into contact with the substance, you're seeing more of this condition. What's key also is that the data showing that more people are using is there, but there's also some studies that suggest that that data isn't excellent. But what we do know is that the people who are using are using more and are using more high-potency marijuana. But, I mean, interestingly, there's not a massive amount of research into this. Mm. Well, I'd say interestingly, I'd also say unsurprisingly, you know, this is a new phenomenon. Who's going to research it anyway? You know, if people are seeing this in ERs, 
it's a new thing. Completely. And in America, as you, you have... This is a... anecdotal. These are case reports. This is this is doctors saying, you know, we are seeing this. Mm. There aren't figures on it. There's no cause and effect. They don't know why it happens, for instance. There's no... They no. don't know why some people might develop this and why some people might not. There are institutions that are set up to research cannabis in America as part of some of the universities. The problem is that the cannabis industry, and I, I, I really hate to sound like a, a complete cynic, and I often avoid suggesting things like this because I, I don't think necessarily that money always muddies the water in terms of funded mm. research. Yes. In America, it is a known problem, and it does seem to be the case that most of the scientist groups who are set up to investigate the effects of cannabis are paid by the cannabis industry. I bet if you unpicked a few of the people that were your critics, you'd find that they would be the first to, you know, criticise Big Pharma. They would be saying, follow the money in, in certain respects. But then when it comes to this, let's just not look too closely about who funded the research or why we don't know about the negative consequences. It's so bizarre. Or why the positives are being talked up so much more. Despite the fact that there is no good quality evidence and every single review that is published every couple of years concludes the same thing which is that mm. we don't know yet whether there are health benefits to cannabis and anything that has been seen in some small studies is likely to be based on not very good data. So you, your article came out and you were absolutely trolled and it <laughs> broke the internet Abused. let's say. <laughs> I made a not strong for the first time not for the first time mm. you know you are you are brilliant and, and have have your finger on the button but there was an out, outcry at scrumming. People just couldn't believe it. They thought you'd made it I'd up. I'd made it up. Where had I taken this from? I clearly didn't know what I was talking about. I clearly never smoked cannabis before. You and, did try uh, it once, though, didn't you? Shut up. <laughs> Let's not reveal my personal relationship to the drug. Um, I'm joking. I don't really have one. Yeah, I, I didn't make it up. It is a real medical condition. But what surprised me about the outcry is that I came across several American reports from local papers where doctors had been describing cannabinoid high premises syndrome as scrumming because it, it's basically violently screaming whilst violently vomiting. Yeah, I, I, the reason that they call it that, and I was looking at this mm. just earlier, that, that it's so painful, the spasms of, of vomiting, that, that you are mm. very, you know, you scream and, mm. and vomit. I mean, Some people had accused me of getting this confused with what is colloquially known as a whitey, which is different from this very distinct condition because it's not just having a, an adverse reaction mm. to smoking too much weed. Mm. It's a specific type of cannabis poisoning. It's, it's known medically as cannabis poisoning. That was a real characteristic of many of the responses that people could only frame this from their own yes experience their own weed experience which makes them a medical it's it's odd because it's a drug it's almost like people become their own pharmacists so they think that they're some sort of a medical expert because they smoke weed once I think that many of the people that were commenting had smoked weed more than once. <laughs> However, you know, people were basically saying, oh, I've, I've smoked weed all my life and I've never had any problems. Therefore, this cannot be true. It baffles me, that, Stud that attitude. Study of participant number one, yeah. Exactly. Oh, no, all my friends. My friends are fine oh, too. Oh, and all my friends. Yeah. That may be true and that's great, but yeah. I could be a smoker and could have five friends who are smokers and none of us could have lung cancer. Yeah, it's a 50-50 chance, yeah. isn't it, with, with lung cancer and smoking. There's not foregone conclusion. Exactly. There's plenty of people who have smoked all their life and go on to, and have perfectly healthy lives and never develop any health conditions because of smoking. 
And interestingly, talking of smoking, it's not fully understood how smoking causes cancer, I discovered not too long ago. I, I thought they would know, and obviously there's this this idea of DNA damage caused by the carcinogen, but on a molecular level, they don't know what's going on. Mm. It's been observational studies that have linked people who smoke lots and high incidences of cancer that have cemented this mm. knowledge. Mm. So it's not clinical trial data. They don't understand the biochemical... And that's exactly thing. the criticism of the observations that cannabis and, and heavy cannabis use and high-potency cannabis use has been linked to episodes of psychosis, schizophrenia, suicidal ideation. Lots of critics say that, well, we don't have evidence to show on a molecular, biological level how exactly cannabis is causing these mental health problems, these severe mental health problems. It's just an association. Mm. And there is an argument to say that the type of person who may be more likely to use cannabis is the type of person who would be likely to develop these mental health problems in the first place. However, medics who are treating these very severe, acute mental health episodes in people who have never had a period of any sort of mental health problem before are very sure about the fact that there is this direct link. And there has been now some really good research done at King's College in London to show the the very direct response in a patient who has smoked high-potency cannabis. And we call high-potency cannabis anything over 20% THC, I think? or I think it's 14%. Oh, well, even lower. And you were seeing mm. products that were up to 95% yeah. THC? Yeah, I mean... It's I mean, ab- that's going to blow your socks off, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely the Wild West. I mean, you can get whatever you want in whatever form you want in terms of potency, and there's no restrictions on that in any product. One of the things that really got my goat about the response was that you were accused of creating moral panic, that this was a political thing. Alarmist. That you were being alarmist. OK, so, you know, it is, it's is—it's a tabloid newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know, the headline was, you know, uh, entertaining, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but the the core of the message was, you know, it was a considered, I, thought, I think, a considered piece. Absolutely. And the only reason why there was sort of, I guess, some alarm within the piece was because that had come directly from doctors who were seeing this every day on the front line. And that's what we do with with a lot of pieces that we write. Um, you know, the concern comes that we report on comes directly from the mouths of doctors and obviously from research that we've then done to back that up to prove that it's not just one doctor saying something, which is what a lot of people accuse me of. But we're well within our rights to report that as something to be concerned about if medical professionals are saying the same thing. For instance, I was talking to one LA-based doctor about cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome who told me that five years ago he saw no cases of it and now he's seeing about 70 to 100 in a year, which obviously for him is, is not a huge number, but it's still more than there was five years ago. And he's saying that given the, the what they think is the level of prevalence, if this ke- keeps increasing every year, they're going to start to see more and more patients. Well, let's hear from him. Joining us now is Dr Timothy Fong, who is a psychiatrist specialising in addiction, who works at the UCLA Medical Centre in Los Angeles. Dr Fong, I've been widely criticised for this piece that I wrote and accused of hysteria. Some people have even said that I've made problems up related to cannabis. You're a doctor working on the front line of this. What do you think? Are they right? Have I invented it? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. And uh, prior to this podcast, I did go through some of those comments on your article, and they were astounding to me, uh, astounding from both sides in terms of 
fear and anxiety and false information and these things aren't true and where did you get your sources? I can tell you my experience as a clinician studying cannabis as an addiction psychiatrist looking at cannabis, I've seen the whole gamut, the whole wide variety of folks who've had their lives improved because of cannabis, but also a lot of folks who've had their lives and a lot of suffering caused and associated by their own cannabis use. And what about something we're specifically interested in is, I'm going to use the um, casual term, scrometing, cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Is that something that you're seeing more often now? Oh, we are. So here in Los Angeles, where I'm at, I'm at the UCLA Medical Center where we have a 24-hour emergency room. We have a psychiatric hospital. And we're really the flagship where men and women in Los Angeles go when they're having difficulties physically, mentally, psychologically. Since legalization of cannabis in 2016, we've definitely seen an increase in the number of cases every day in our emergency room related to either cannabis intoxication, adverse effects from cannabis use, or again, behaviors that have found to have cannabis in their body at the time of them being admitted to the ER. When it comes to cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, we have seen that in the emergency room. We have seen that admitted to the hospital itself. So certainly 10 years ago, it was not something we ever heard about, but we are seeing that more and more here in Los Angeles and at UCLA. And could you describe scrometing? What, what do you see with patients who suffer from this? Yeah, you know, again, as a psychiatrist, I don't see them when they come into the emergency room right away. Sometimes we do our residents handle that. But what our patients describe are exactly what it sounds like. Intense anxiety, psychosis, paranoia, nausea, vomiting, uh, a feeling like you're just going to throw up, uh, an intense feeling of what we call dysphoria, where light, sound, just your mood, very irritable, intense paranoia, which is suspiciousness, false beliefs that things aren't happening there. I fold it into a, it's essentially a combination of emotional and physical pain state that just doesn't feel good. And you talk about the benefits that you've also seen of cannabis and what role, beneficial role, can it play in people's lives? This is a fascinating story, right? And you can call it debate, but I think about it as a story, right? We have here a plant, the cannabis plant, that has well over 100 different kinds of very interesting chemicals, cannabinoids, that have a wide range of impact on every part of our body and brain and our minds. We know we have some medications that are derived from cannabis and cannabinoids that are effective. We have science over the last 20 years to tell us that, yes, certain kinds of cannabis will help for things like chronic pain and nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy and other things like that. But we also have this whole world where we don't know how effective it can be for the things that people purport it to be effective for, for sleep, depression, anxiety, PTSD. We have a whole world of people who believe in cannabis with such intense fervor that they say the scientific debate is over. This is medicine. Contrast that with a whole group of folks who've used it and they develop these adverse consequences, addiction hyperemesis, difficulty with medical problems from cannabis that are also like, no, cannabis did this to me. If you put it all together, we have a really fascinating plant, really fascinating compound that has both incredible therapeutic potential, but also a lot of very real adverse consequences that we cannot discount and minimize. What do you say to the claims that, I know that 
it's been very difficult to study the adverse effects. And there are some people that will say till they're blue in the face, there is no good evidence to suggest that there's a link between cannabis and, for instance, episodes of psychosis or schizophrenia or other other mental health problems. Based on what you've seen in patients, what, what do you think about that? So here's what I say. So number one, nearly every major professional medical society and every major mental health organization has all said that cannabis can be associated with significant mental health problems, depression, psychosis, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. Many of those same professional organizations also have position statements saying that cannabis is not, as of today, an effective treatment for those conditions. So we have scientific consensus on that. We have more data that's coming out every year that's really beginning to err on the side that, yeah, cannabis, unfortunately, tends to be more harmful than helpful for mental health. That doesn't mean it will never be that way. It doesn't mean that we don't have potential therapeutics from cannabis that can be used for depression and anxiety. It's just not there today. My usual rule of thumb, what I say that I really firmly believe on, that this is an adult plant. This is not meant to be consumed by adolescents and teenagers and young people. This is an adult plant meant for the adult body. And the science is beginning to be clear that the younger you are when you start taking it, the more likely you'll have physical and mental problems later on. Combined with if you're using it every day and you start off using it at a younger age, that's when you're going to have more problems. So that's where the story seems to lay and lie over the last 10 years as we've seen expansion of cannabis throughout America is that it doesn't seem to be really an effective treatment as we define it through scientific process for these mental health things, and they tend to create more problems. One, one clear example, if I said to you, give me all the side effects that cannabis can do, and I said, line that up with any other pharmaceutical medication in terms of side effects, you're going to see the list is going to look really similar, but it's also going to be much longer. And I think that's where some of the debate comes in. People will say, oh, these prescription medications are way more dangerous than the plant. They're way more addicting than this plant. And I think we then dismiss then the power of what cannabis really is. It can be incredibly powerful, both to the positive and then unfortunately to the negative as well. Something that has been mentioned in the commentary about the article is, well, parallels have been drawn with the cannabis industry and uh, what people call big tobacco. The, the way that tobacco was marketed many decades ago as something that was good for you, recommended by doctors. And it's something we're only re- very recently unpicking here in the UK. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it's like in, in the States, but we've only very relatively recently banned elaborate packaging and advertising, you know, and all those things that appeal to people and and really sort of sell cigarettes, basically. All these things are allowed with cannabis. What do you say to that? You know, it's a fascinating area. I'm an addiction psychiatrist, and a few years ago when we built our UCLA Cannabis Research Initiative, I didn't think this was going to be my lane, but it became very clear that all this has an impact on how we perceive cannabis, how it's appearance, susceptibility, and ultimately how people feel about cannabis out there. The truth of the matter is this, you know, in America, half a million people die every year from tobacco-related causes. 100,000 die every year from alcohol-related illnesses. We don't have a ban against these industries stop them. We have very tight regulations. Uh, we've come to accept that we, uh, we want a society where these products are available. So when it comes to big weed, that 
story is evolving. So there's no doubt there still are, in, for instance, here in California, very clear legislation and laws about advertising for cannabis. But what's not done is enforcing those laws and those ads. So when you walk around LA and you see these billboards, you see these online ads, and they are very classy and they're clearly geared toward marketing toward young people, no one is shutting them down. No one is even enforcing well in these dispensaries that yet to be 21 and over. So there's a huge disconnect between our laws and enforcing and regulating them. But from a larger perspective, I think it goes back to, again, is that the cannabis community is a very unique community. It's like, you know, people who, you know, who are really into video games or who are into Star Trek or Star Wars, you know, they really firmly believe in the power of the plant and the culture associated with that. We don't really have that, you know, per say in tobacco and maybe, of course, we have alcohol when it comes to wine. But I think that's a really important community to engage discussions with because for whatever reason, you have very strong feelings about this plant about it being a positive influence, about being part of the culture and have views on it. And and we really need to hear about where they come from and, and have a better perspective on it. But the original question, again, is yes, I think advertisement needs to be tighter regulated because this is an adult product. It's 21 and over. This is not allowable for anyone under the age of 21, and yet we don't do a good job of really evaluating what does this advertising do to the young person who sees it? Are they now more likely to try it? Are they more likely to dismiss the scientific facts about it? Are they more likely to not be able to be receptive to prevention messages about addiction and harm? That's what we don't know. So certainly I think that we have a long way to go to understand those relationships and those things that happen when it comes to cannabis and advertising. Dr. Fong, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for sparing time in your very busy day. Thank you for having me. And if anyone's interested, take a look at our website, cannabis.semel.ucla.edu, or look of us on Twitter, at UCLA Cannabis. So I want to go back to what we were talking about, the, the whole idea of moral panic and, mm. and people dug out this film, Reefer Madness. Or, and, and another brilliant one was that people were uh, making parallels to the episode of Brass Eye when Chris Morris persuaded a, a bunch of celebs, including Bernard Manning, to do infomercials on the dangers of this fictional drug called cake. <laughs> and I know it's Rolf Harris rather sinisterly was in there as well. And one of the things they said, you know, that the, it makes your neck swell up so much it engulfs your head or the, the one person cried all the water out of their body when they took it. And it, it was kind of, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And it, it kind of showed... And that was what I was... It was Well, it was a play on by... the same thing, you know, mm. this reefer madness. I haven't seen it. It sounds like a great film, actually. Mm. Uh, you know, women cry for it, men die for it. Reefer madness. Adults only, uh, the sweet pill that makes life bitter. And, and then there's a, a kind of zombie-looking uh, girl and drug-crazed abandon. That Is sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> they... Someone yeah, photoshopped like me into it. Of you. Okay. Not that it matters what we think, because this was a report, mm. believe it or not. Although um, everyone, a lot of people tried to. Uh, yeah, it wasn't an opinion accuse piece. Accuse me of being, uh, of just using anecdotes and also having a preconceived having a, idea oh, about. Absolutely, there was um, a preconceived idea. We went out to find that story yeah. and we did so. Mm. But yeah, not that it matters what we think. But my view is very much that the regulation and control of drugs is definitely a good idea. Mm. That if you could do this and you could lift it out of the criminal 
world mm. and control it and stop people from getting dodgy batches of stuff that does damage and, you know, reduce those risks, then that could only be a good thing. Absolutely. I, I don't believe that, as again, not that it matters what my opinion is, because that's not what we're talking about here, but just as a side point, I don't believe that people should be going to prison for smoking cannabis. No, the way that people spend their leisure time, as many of these people on Twitter and on Instagram pointed out, that they smoke cannabis and they're absolutely fine. Mm. And, and why should that change? Mm. Absolutely. But what seems wrong is this marketing the gloss, the veneer is fake. It's selling something by creating an illusion of health mm. when in fact there are risks. Why couldn't you have a dispensary that was just a white room with a hole in the wall, a list on the side of what you could purchase in a basic font and the potential risks of taking this substance? Why, do, why can't they do that? Similarly to cigarettes. No branding, no marketing, just the drug. If it's so great, it should stand on its own. You don't need to put it in a teddy bear packaging. What is quite ludicrous, and I only thought of this after I'd written the piece, is the fact that with most medications, even those that you buy over the counter, there is a pamphlet that comes with it, right? A, a little written yeah, warning pa about... patient information leaflet. About all of the potential side effects that happen in like 0.000% of cases, whatever. The fact that in California, you do not have to list any warning whatsoever on even a 98% THC product. Do you not? blows my mind. Wow. There's currently a campaign set up by some parents who have had problems with their children and, and cannabis use to get this label put onto cannabis products to warn about the potential mental health effects as well as other complications. But we'll see how successful that will be in due course. Well, going back to uh, scrometing, I thought it would be a good idea to speak to someone who has suffered from cannabinoid i've realized i've been pronouncing it wrong cannabinoid what have you been saying scrometing Can... just say scrometing scrometing we'll speak to someone who's been struck by scrometing herself joining us now is alice moon who works in pr social media marketing for both cannabis and non-cannabis brands but alice also has an interesting story that although she was an imbiber a user of cannabis she developed a reaction. And Alice, it took you a little while to work out that it was cannabis that was causing your health problems. Would you like to take us through that? Yeah. So back in 2016, I started to just randomly throw up and I would be getting sick like once a month. And then it started becoming more frequent where it was like once a week. And then it was becoming more frequent to once a day. And I was sick for about two years before I got diagnosed with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. And yeah, I had to quit using cannabis completely because I was throwing up excessively to the point where I nearly died from throwing up for 16 days straight. So it was wow. a very scary experience for me, but I, um, you know, still work in cannabis, still love the plant. I just can't use it myself. I chose my words slightly carefully when I introduced you because were you smoking cannabis? Or were you eating it or was it all of it? I was mainly doing edibles. I was right. doing about 20 milligrams of THC a day. And then like I would smoke maybe half a joint, if that. Okay. So I wouldn't consider myself what people would consider a heavy user. I was more on like the moderate side of consumption. But I was consuming for six years before I ended up getting sick. And for what reason were you consuming cannabis? 
I was using cannabis for a variety of things, for anxiety, depression, sleep, appetite, period cramps. Cannabis was kind of like an everything medication for me. And did it help with those? Oh, absolutely. It helped completely with everything that I just named. It took a while for you to realise that that cannabis was causing the, the sickness and you had to kind of piece it together by stopping taking cannabis and then when you started again, it started again. Is, is that sort of right? Yes, that's correct. So I quit consuming cannabis for three months and then I went back to consuming and was able to lightly consume for a few months, but then my symptoms came back. So then I took another break and then I introduced CBD into my life and that unfortunately also had negative side effects for me and made me very, very sick. But yeah, I saw so many doctors over the course of those two years and nobody knew what was wrong with me. They ran a whole bunch of tests. Like I got every test you could get done, racked up huge medical bills trying to figure out what was wrong with me until I finally saw a doctor who knew about this condition who diagnosed me. Alice, it's fascinating to me that you had this really severe reaction. You know, you said that it was very frightening and you nearly died. And yet, I don't know, seemingly for you, the benefits of cannabis outweigh that that risk because you've gone on to champion the plant. And as you said, you're very passionate about it. Why do you think it is that you weren't kind of put off it for life? Like I would assume a lot of people would have been after that experience. Because I know how powerful the plant is for people. It doesn't help just me. It helps millions of people around the world. And I recognize the benefits of the plant. So just because I had a negative experience with it doesn't negate all the benefits that cannabis can have for people. Something you mentioned in the Washington Post interview that I read was that when you finally decided to stop taking cannabis, it was very difficult because everyone you knew still did. Could you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So, you know, I've worked in cannabis for 11 years. So my life is very ingrained in the industry. And when I got diagnosed, I had to stop going to all the events that I used to go to. And my social life completely changed because I can't handle being around secondhand smoke. So even that will make me sick. Not everyone with this condition gets that sensitive to cannabis. But for me personally, yeah, secondhand smoke makes me sick. So it was a huge disruptor in my social life and mentally as well, because I was using cannabis as a medication. So I, um, you know, I lost my medicine. So I didn't have my anti-anxiety, my antidepressant anymore. So that also threw a wrench in my life. And it was very, very challenging for two years, I would say. I'm, you know, I miss cannabis every day of my life, but I haven't used it in four years now because I just don't want the side effects that it occurs with me. Have you found other ways to treat your problems? Yeah, so I um, got on uh, medication for my anxiety and my depression. I haven't found anything for um, my menstrual cramps that actually works the way cannabis works for that. But I am on pharmaceuticals to help with my mental health. And um, it does work for me. I much would have preferred to be using cannabis, but I can't. So it is what it is. Alice, I don't know if you read my report that was published at the weekend. I'm really interested and kind of keen to address some of the criticisms and also find out, obviously, there was a really visceral reaction to it. And I guess because you're part of that community, I'd be really interested to know, you know, what you felt was missing from the piece or what would you have liked to have seen or where do you think it went wrong? Well, I think one thing that kind of just shocked people was using the word scrometing. 
because that word hasn't been really used that much. And so I think, you know, I saw a huge negative reaction to that Mm -hmm. where people didn't want to believe that, you know, CHS was real at all. The only reason why I had reported it in that way is because doctors had said it to me and I thought, oh, well, that's a good way of, I guess as a journalist, you're writing for an audience, right? And, And you try and, especially in health journalism, we try and distill things down into a very simple term so that people can understand it. And for me, that seemed perfect because it it sums it up. It's a way of communicating it to a a large audience in a way that most people are going to understand it. So anyway, that's the only reason why I use the term. But thinking about it now, maybe I should have used the medical term in my tweet. Yeah, um, people don't want to believe that CHS is real. And so when you go and add scrominging on top of it, they're like, oh, no, you're totally making this up. But I will say that scrominging is real with not everyone that has CHS will scrum it, but some people who have this condition, they are screaming while they're vomiting. Like I have talked to ER doctors who have heard patients down the hallway who they're like, oh man, you know, that is probably somebody with CHS because they were just screaming so much. Um, but I think that your piece came off a little bit fear-mongery to be like, we should be afraid of cannabis. We shouldn't recognize the positive benefits of it. So I think that is where it was a little bit tricky um, because cannabis is a very beneficial plant for so many people. It just does have some potential negative side effects for others. Mm. So we could have we could have achieved a bit more balance, maybe. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Because CHS, we don't know how many people that are affected by it. Doctors say it's a rare syndrome. I'm not sure if it's rare or just undocumented, but um, it doesn't affect everyone. And so I believe that we should still talk about the positives of the cannabis plant because cannabis can help with so many things for so many people. So we should not try to take that away from anyone. The reason I got in touch with you is because you you wrote a thread in reaction to the whole squamating Ferrari. And it so brilliantly and clearly set out, this is a thing. There is a lot we don't know about it etc and you know i started looking into you and i see you've you've talked about this quite a lot and then i saw that you have also been viciously trolled and abused and sent horrible slightly like what happened to eve but i'd say far worse really i just don't understand why i mean yeah it's been years of abuse it's happened from you know people i've known within the cannabis space and then strangers online anytime i publicly talk about chs in any capacity i get some type of hate message but at the same time i also get a thank you message from someone else and that's what keeps me going talking about it because i'm helping people discover that they may have this condition and it's changing their lives for the better so that's why i keep talking about it but People don't want to believe it's real because for so many years, reefer madness where um, the government was saying cannabis is bad, cannabis is bad. And so people don't want to believe that maybe there actually is a potential side effect that can occur to some people. And there's also this mentality of, well, I've been a smoker for 20 years. It never happened to me. Mm. And then I tell those people, well, you know, do you have a peanut allergy? Because I don't have a peanut allergy, but that doesn't mean it's not real. Like, it's still real. And then the other component is people think that this is something made up by big pharma which doesn't make any sense it's ridiculous they say that i work for big pharma people say that i get paid to talk negatively about cannabis but i you know kindly remind them that no i'm a publicist in the cannabis space i actually get paid to talk positively about cannabis i don't make any money talking about chs it's just something i do to help others Mm. is that presumably because big pharma would rather that patients were taking medicine licensed medicine and i don't know maybe opioids instead of cannabis is that the logic there yeah absolutely right it's a bit of a bit of a stretch it is somewhat (laughs) 
Alice, I was really shocked that I had touched so many nerves with my piece and my tweets. And one thing that really took me aback was how vicious some of these messages are and how strong a lot of people feel about cannabis. What is it about it? Why are so many people, especially in the States, so defensive when it comes to this plant? I think because for, you know, the last... 20, 30 years, people in cannabis have had to defend the cannabis plant and say like, no, it does help people and kind of fight for credibility for cannabis. It's been very hard to even get credibility for the plant because the lack of research and lack of ability to conduct research. So it's all been anecdotal, which when it comes to CHS, people are like, well, you know, there's no research behind it. And I'm like, well, hey, guess what? We barely have research about cannabis in general. But people are just very defensive of the plant because they think that CHS is trying to take the plant away from them, which it's not. You know, I am not trying to tell anyone not to smoke weed. In fact, I say go smoke a joint in my honor because I wish I could. But people can be really, really nasty. And it's kind of funny to me because I'm like, yo, you have access to cannabis that mellows you out. Why don't you go smoke a joint and chill out? Like, just relax, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I just thought, well, I just wrote an article. I'm not, I don't have an agenda, although people think I do. Yeah, I saw a lot of the conversation going on online attacking you and, uh, it was pretty brutal. People definitely um, were not happy with your piece. And I saw it from a lot of people. People were DMing me the article and saying, like, you know, what do you think about this? Like, this woman, you know, she's so anti-weed, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I'm not this writer. So I don't know why you're trying to have the conversation with me. Feel free to send them on to me. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Well, Alice, I, I hope none of this puts you off from continuing to share your story because you you very persuasively come at it from both angles, the positive and the negative. And thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Another thing that annoyed me. <laughs> Another thing. I noticed that there were quite a few journalists who weighed in. Oh. I noticed that Ben Collins, who covers disinformation and extremism for NBC, did multiple tweets trying to discredit you. I mean, do a Google, Ben Collins. It's it's very easy to find out that this is a real thing and instead weigh in with trolling. Oh, you're not really doing anyone any favours. No, exactly. It's not, not really good for our, our shared profession. The other thing that made me laugh was the accusation, a new one for me, that I'm an alcoholic. Well, Eve, I did mean to talk to you about <laughs> this problem. <laughs> no, My but whispering they... angel under the desk, <laughs> you found it. Oh, yeah. But I, they, they dug out tweets from, like, 15 years ago. They dug out a tweet from when I was at university, and I think I said something like, I can't see the pavement, I'm drunk. Sorry, Mum. <clears throat> <laughs> Alice really got me thinking about uh, people that I know, and, and I do know people that have smoked weed and found it very helpful. Mm. A friend of mine who suffered terribly from Crohn's, the inflammatory bowel disease, smoked all the time to control the cramps and the stomach discomfort. And before he started smoking, he was on high doses of, I think they take methotrexate, which is like a chemotherapy mm. drug in mm. order to suppress the immune system. And it has all kinds. And he took ster was on steroids as well, which have terrible side effects. And someone he knew with Crohn's had told him to smoke weed instead. And he'd started doing that. 
and basically all of his symptoms had gone. Mm. <clears throat> I also knew a friend of mine, her father had multiple sclerosis for many, many years in advanced stages and he was very unwell and very disabled and the only thing that helped with the pain and the muscle spasms was cannabis mm. um, and he smoked for many years so you know of course I've also heard stories actually Dr Fong told me of a patient of his who had late stage cancer and was very very sick from the ca- a mixture of the cancer and the treatment and found that cannabis really helped to relieve the nausea and by having something that meant that they weren't vomiting all the time yeah. made the, their life easier which obviously you know no one would deny somebody that and obviously these things are very hard to study because the placebo effect mm. is always very strong you know but i mean if you look at ibuprofen and paracetamol the placebo effect for those is very very strong absolutely the power of mind over matter you know just the idea of taking something is going to make us feel better. Mm. You know, you couple that with something that has an effect, what do you call it, a soporific soporific effect? You know, that it it does relax you. Mm. You know, that's going to have its own benefit in itself if it, if it doesn't turn you into a paranoid wreck which is what it's done to me I think past. I think that's the thing I mean I was thinking about chocolate was hailed as this powerful elixir and was healthy and could do all of these wonderful things the same with Coca-Cola Chocolate was it? Yes, to the indigenous Aztec people. Here we are. Cocoa was consumed as a drink and held great cultural and medicinal significance. It was almost viewed as a panacea that could cure various ailments, including oh. fever, diarrhea, fatigue, angina, and tooth decay. And the same. Excellent. So if I eat enough Nutella. Yeah. <laughs> but do we not do this at some point? If you look back over history, do we not always do this with things, or does does human do humans not always do this with things that taste or feel good? Oh, interesting theory. We assume it must be health-giving, vital, you know, uh, nectar of the gods. Because in a way it is, of course. I mean, of course, if you smoke a joint and you're feeling stressed, you're not going to feel stressed anymore. It's a stress reliever. Yeah. Well, in summary, let's just be honest. There are good things, potentially, Mm -hmm. about this. Squamiting is a real thing. Thank you. And, you know, there are other negative consequences of cannabis and they are going to become more apparent as it becomes more common and more people are smoking for longer. So watch this space because we'll keep reporting. And if you get any other criticisms, bring it. Feel free to bring it. Bring I'm it. here all evening. <laughs> you can read all about the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday in newspaper format on the app or at mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Try not to scrum it. Goodbye.